We are the only minority group that you can join overnight. From Overnight Productions. In the twinkling of an eye, in fact. Uh, we're going to have a great night tonight. And for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. She really wrapped her arms around the LGBTQ um, audience. I mean, it was radical in that time. It's cool to be first because in my mind, that's indicative that there will be more. I thought it was courageous and uh, heroic. And I don't know what it meant for people in the Academy audience, but it meant a lot to me. And I'm sure it meant a lot to queer people all over the country or the world. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. The UN says laws against lesbian sex violate human rights. Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill faces a federal lawsuit. And Oscar's Queerest Facets slap down the competition. Those stories and more this week as we begin our 35th year discovering This Way Out. I'm Melanie Keller. And I'm Michael Taylor Gray. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending April 2nd, 2022. Criminalizing lesbian sex has been specifically declared a violation of international law and human rights for the first time. The March 23rd announcement by the UN Committee on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women involved a challenge to Sri Lanka's colonial-era penal code. It punishes carnal intercourse against the order of nature with up to 10 years in prison and a fine and any act of gross indecency with up to two years in prison and a fine, according to Human Rights Watch. Lesbian Sri Lankan human rights activist Rosanna Flamer Caldera told the United Nations panel that Penal Code Section 365A violates her right to live free from discrimination. The panel decided the criminalization of same-sex sexual activity between women in the South Asian nation has meant that Flamer Caldera has had difficulties with finding a partner, has had to hide her relations, and runs the risk of being investigated and prosecuted in this context. It said that Sri Lanka's government had failed to protect her against and have partaken in harassment, abuse, and threats against the author's work promoting the rights of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex community in Sri Lanka. It also called on the government to specifically protect and financially compensate Flamer Caldera and to decriminalize consensual same-sex sexual conduct between women having passed the age of consent. By extension, that means all consensual adult same-gender sexual conduct. The Sri Lankan government has six months to file a written response. Thailand politicians are playing another round of pass the hot potato. With two popular bills, the cabinet has returned to the parliament for further review. It's an ongoing procedural tactic to prevent both the progressive liquor and marriage equality bills from coming to a vote, according to Coconuts Bangkok. Deputy Government Spokesperson Rashada Donatarek said that the marriage equality bill was considered to be too similar to a less-than-marriage civil partnerships bill that's also being considered. Donatarek claimed that home brewing of alcohol is already allowed, making the progressive liquor bill unnecessary. In Coconut Bangkok's assessment, when the opposition Move Forward Party introduced the two bills early last month, they were kicked to the cabinet for review. 
Now they're heading back to Parliament, where they will likely be shelved two months prior to being read again and, in all likelihood, punted back to the cabinet. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed the Parental Rights in Education Bill into law on March 28th. No doubt what's known as the Don't Say Gay Bill is intended to push his unannounced bid for the Republican presidential nomination. His new law specifically bans any classroom discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. Its additional age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate language is so vague that many teachers will probably self-censor those subjects in all grade levels. Parents are allowed to sue a school district if they think the law has been violated in their child's classroom. So imagine a third grade teacher during typical classroom discussions about family when at least one student begins describing their two moms or two dads. What should the teacher do? The bigoted law is scheduled to take effect on July 1st, but the first federal lawsuit has already been filed. Equality Florida and Family Equality is joining students, parents, and teachers to challenge the law. Attorneys from the National Center for Lesbian Rights filed the suit in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Florida on March 31st. The judge assigned to the case is Alan Windsor. Slate first reported that Windsor is a Trump appointee whose apparent qualification was his defense of the state's now-defunct marriage equality ban in 2014. On the upside, Robbie Kaplan is leading the opposition's legal charge. She is best known for winning the Supreme Court case that struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, the decision that paved the way for the high court's marriage equality ruling two years later. Into the Florida fray has come one of TV's favorite sons of anarchy, straight from the movie Nightmare Alley. Hellboy actor Ron Perlman is a notorious social media political F-bomber, and he had some choice words for the Florida governor, although, ironically, he can't say a few of them on the radio. Good morning, Governor DeSantis. Ron here. Um... Don't say gay. Don't say as the first two words in a sentence spoken by a political leader of a state in the United States of America. Don't say. Don't say, you Nazi pig. Say. First Amendment. Read about it. Then run for office. Republicans are pushing similar don't-say-gay bills in at least 16 other states. The governors of both Arizona and Oklahoma jumped on the bandwagon this week for laws to persecute transgender youth, another kind of don't-say that's becoming all the rage in Republican-dominated U.S. states. Arizona's Doug Ducey marked Transgender Day of Visibility on March 31st by signing a bill to ban trans girls and women from competing in school sports. He also added his signature to a bill outlawing gender-affirming surgery for transgender minors. Healthcare professionals rarely support surgery for trans people under the age of 18, so that law is no more than hateful symbolism. Oklahoma's Kevin Stitt signed the state's trans sports ban bill on Trans Visibility Day, too. Like most such bills, both the Arizona and Oklahoma anti-trans sports measures specifically target trans girls and women, not trans boys and men. Utah's Republican Governor Spencer Cox vetoed a trans sports ban bill last week, but lawmakers quickly overrode it. 
The Indiana legislature could override Republican Governor Eric Holcomb's veto of a similar measure when it reconvenes in May. Close to a half dozen U.S. states have banned trans girls and women from competing in school sports in just the first three months of this year. The option of an X-gender marker on U.S. passports will be added to the traditional M and F designations beginning on April 11. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in his March 31st announcement that the option will become available for other forms of documentation next year. The change comes seven years after intersex Navy veteran Dana Zim sued the State Department after it denied their application for a passport with the X-gender marker. Zim received the first gender-neutral U.S. passport last October. Secretary Blinken added, We reaffirm our commitment to promoting and protecting the freedom, dignity, and equality of all persons, including transgender, non-binary, and gender nonconforming persons around the world. The United States joins a number of other countries that offer a third gender option, including Australia, Austria, Bangladesh, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, India, Malta, Nepal, New Zealand, and Pakistan, according to The Advocate. Finally, to a majority of sane people, U.S. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia has become a laughingstock. She first burst onto the political landscape by warning against Jewish-controlled lasers in space. The QAnon conspiracy favorite of the Republican Party's neo-Nazi wing has been one of the most hyperventilating opponents of pandemic protections. Still, supporters of Donald Trump continue to eat up her often beyond-the-pale, blatantly bigoted remarks. She was among the warm-up acts at a Trump Save America rally in Commerce, Georgia on March 26th. Maybe not that warm, since by most accounts, there were many empty seats and quite a few mid-Trump walkouts. Green rallied the troops, promising a Republican-controlled Congress that will actually build Trump's southern border wall and expand domestic oil drilling. The crazy train went off the rails with her attack on U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and his husband, Chastin. And you know what? Pete Buttigieg can take his electric vehicles and his bicycles, and he and his husband can stay out of our girls' bathrooms. Yep. Yeah. Secretary Buttigieg called Green's rant literally nonsensical. A Twitter user wrote, I'm a woman, and honestly, I'd rather have Pete Buttigieg in the bathroom with me than Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending April 2nd, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Melanie Keller. Stay healthy. And I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay safe. I mean, (laughs) I surely never actually thought I'd be Academy Award nominee Ariana DeBose. Dreams come true later in the program. But first, since the nightmare of war is inescapable, we'll spend an expanded rainbow minute listening to the tapping drum of a gay poet in conflict.
Walt Whitman comforts comrades. Walt Whitman remembers Abe. Coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In 1862, as the Civil War raged on, poet Walt Whitman searched in desperation for his brother George, a wounded Confederate soldier. In finding him, he also found his calling, comforting the wounded and dying troops. Whitman wrote, I never before had my feelings so thoroughly absorbed to the very roots as by these huge swarms of dear, wounded, sick, dying boys. I get very much attached to some of them, and many of them have come to depend on seeing me and having me sit by them a few minutes, as if for their lives. Whitman composed poems about these so-called comrades, which were published in a collection entitled Drum Taps, the postscript to his Civil War career. On April 15, 1865, Walt Whitman opened the morning paper. Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. Like millions of Americans, he was utterly stunned. Peter Doyle, with whom Whitman shared his life, had been at Ford's Theater and relayed eyewitness accounts of the shooting to Whitman. Later, Whitman gave lectures about his treasured president, detailing his tragic final moments. The depth of Whitman's grief spoke of his affinity for Lincoln. They had suffered together through the Civil War. So many comrades, literally and figuratively, had been violently destroyed. Whitman penned the last great poem of his career, honoring Lincoln, which he titled, When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed. The heart-shaped leaves of the lilac bush symbolized his love for the fallen president. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Alan Brown. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Thank you. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. There's been so much posted on Hubbub over the controversial confrontation about you-know-who slapping you-know-who over you-know-what. It's almost drowned out the positive things that happened at the 94th Academy Awards Ceremony in Los Angeles on March 27th. This Way Out's Lucia Chappelle takes us behind the scenes to highlight some of Oscar's queerest facets. March 27, 2022 might be a day that will live in infamy for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, but it turned out to be a day of rainbow movie history in spite of it all. Andy Hum and Ann Northrup of Gay USA TV will help guide us through the notable mentions for the LGBTQ movie history books. At the beginning of the show, Wanda Sykes with Amy Schumer and Regina Hall. Uh, we're going to have a great night tonight. And for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. And she got the whole auditorium saying gay, gay, gay. Well, there was a lot of gay at the Oscars, uh, and particularly lesbians showing up with their wives or, or fiancés. Yep. Uh, Wanda Sykes with her wife, Alex. Kristen Stewart with her fiancé, hey. Dylan. I loved Kristen Stewart in those Chanel shorts. Elliot Page was there as part of a trio celebrating an anniversary of the movie Juno. And I think it got a lot of uh, audience murmurs showing up as his trans self. We finally got to hear from him. Yes, and his voice has lowered, uh, wearing a Gucci tuxedo. Skyscrapers blooming America. 
The big news, of course, is Ariana DeBose. Uh, follow, you know, she's been winning everything. She's the first LGBTQ woman of color to win an acting award. She won for Best Supporting Actress for uh, playing Anita in West Side Story. She's quite wonderful in that. And she said, for any of you out there who feel hopeless and alone, I just want you to know that you are unconditionally loved for the uniqueness that is you. She identified as a proud queer woman. Proud queer Afro-Latino. She is only the second Latinx woman to win an Academy Award, and the other one was Rita Moreno playing the same part. A hundred years ago. Rather, rather limiting uh, universe of possibilities. DuBose did not feel limited at all. Even before her win, she told NBC's Today Sunday show that her nomination proves that there are great possibilities. It's cool to be first because in my mind, that's indicative that there will be more. I mean, <laughs> I surely never actually thought I'd be Academy Award nominee, Ariana DeBose. But that happened. So if that can happen for me, there's no reason that your dreams can't come true. And then Jessica Chastain won Best Actress for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Not my favorite movie, not my favorite portrayal. <laughs> of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. I want to put my arm around you. And I want to put my arms around you, Tammy Faye. Uh. Nominee Chastain talked about how Tammy Faye Baker's compassion for queers drew her to tell the story on CBS's Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Her acceptance speech carried on that theme. In 1985, I mean, the, the AIDS epidemic was killing you know, communities of people and destroying families. And uh, she really wrapped her arms around the LGBTQ um, audience. I mean, it was radical in that time when you have someone like Jerry Falwell saying that, um, you know, homosexuality is a cancer that's, you know, um, destroying this country. To have this woman go against that kind of authority is awesome. She gave a very uh, deliberate speech about LGBT suicide and these horrible laws. Well, she uh, referred to the bigoted legislation sweeping our country, uh, which has the only goal of further dividing us. And I thought that was that was terrific. Uh, and she called for compassion and radical acts of love. There's some that makes you shiver. You know, Jane Campion won for best director. Uh, the through, one through line here is the Venus and Serena through line uh, perceived as having been dissed by Jane Campion when she won at the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, Jane Campion won and said, you know, I'm happy to win as a woman director, but I have to compete against the men, unlike Venus and Serena, which is just a vast misunderstanding and misreading of everything they've accomplished in their lives. You know, I put together Katanji Brown-Jackson and what she went through, what Venus and Serena went through with that thing at the Critics' Choice, and then at the Oscars with the Chris Rock-Will Smith confrontation. And again, they were drawn into that as the people who uh, Will Smith was representing and who he talked about in his horrible, lugubrious speech. Okay, so we have to say something about the slap. The ally comedy duo Frangela dug down into the roots of Chris Rock's fateful joke. 
So first of all, Chris Rock should have known. And I'm going to go even further. It, the insult was, you look like a lesbian. The I insult, thought it was homophobic. It was I thought homophobic. it was homophobic, sexist, racist, and and he knew it was. And it felt like there's a bigger issue here. I mean, look, uh, you know, I don't want to get slapped, uh, but, you know, Kevin Sessoms, who writes about Hollywood all the time, says that, and, and I don't know what goes on between Will and Jada. I don't think anybody does. But he says they're both closet cases. Well, that's not new information. That's been said for years. But uh... and, and it has to do with, you know, his, his display of toxic masculinity. And being overly defensive and all right. of that. But I'm, I, you know, I don't know enough and I'm not going to try to diagnose it. You're the girl with the dead family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. And don't forget that the Best Picture Oscar went to CODA. You might not consider it a queer-related movie, but I had a conversation with gay independent filmmaker David Michael Barrett that revealed some interesting parallels. David, I know that you were pulling for CODA. Yes. Why? Well, I, um, it's, first of all, I loved the movie. Um, I loved a lot of the movies nominated this year. Um, but I have a deaf brother and a deaf grandmother who's now no longer with us. And the deaf community has always been a part of my life and my family. And uh, it's, uh, I, I love these stories about deaf people. And it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful film. I've watched it twice. As I re interact with people in the deaf community, it feels a lot like the, the gay experience, the LGBTQ experience, is very like the deaf experience, a, a kind of community within the whole. Do you find that to be true? Well, I definitely think that the deaf community, there are similarities definitely between the deaf community and the gay community. Um, in that deaf, maybe even one way to think of it is what the gay community or the LGBT community used to be. Maybe back in the, the 70s, 80s, or even prior to that, when it was, it was very insular and people were very removed from the society at large. Um, the deaf community is very much removed from society, which is why it's so important that they have representation in, in films. Now, the Oscar win for CODA, you know, we talk about it being a, you know, an amazing <clears throat> thing you know, to represent the community. But on the other hand, there are people like um, Fran Lebowitz, I think, said, you know, are the Oscars really relevant anymore? Well, they're becoming less and they're becoming less and less relevant. I mean, in, in terms of if you just look at the ratings, they've been taking a nosedive for the last few years. There's more interest now because of this unfortunate situation with Will Smith, but that isn't even about the Oscars or even about movies. You know, um, the whole movie business is taking is reassessing itself the same way that everybody has after COVID. But this was going on before COVID, where people, 
you know, people are getting their big screens and they're watching, you know, uh, most of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture were available on streaming services. Uh, Coda was the first film that, that Apple TV, the first streaming service. Coda was the first Best Picture win for a streaming service. And Netflix has tried really hard to win Best Picture. They had The Power of the Dog, they had Don't Look Up, um, and, and those films had huge budgets, much bigger than Coda. Coda had like a six to $10 million budget, and it, for it to win Best Picture is, is tremendous. But people are not going to the movies like they used to. They're staying home with their big screens and watching things on... on. We went and saw uh, West Side Story at the theater, and that was our first time we went out of the house to go to see a theater since COVID. And it was, it's an amazing film. It's a beautiful film. It's surprisingly relevant. And um, we got to the theater and the, they played 30 minutes of commercials before the movie started in the theater. And all I could think is, you know, I don't watch commercials at home. Why, why should we be watching commercials at the movie where we're playing, paying lots of money to see this film? I mean, it is nice to see it on the big screen, though. Speaking of West Side Story, Ariana DeBose and her statement in front of the Academy. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of impact do you think that that had? Well, I think it was, you know, it's funny. Uh, Ariana DeBose is tre- it's tremendous talent. She, and she's just gorgeous, and she can do comedy, and she can dance, and she can sing. She really, really deserved it. And she has all this confidence of winning the Oscar. She was on Broadway. She was in Hamilton. And there was a moment when she, she announced to the world how she identified herself as a queer woman of color. And the, the hesitancy she had, I took to be the fear that every gay person knows. Because she did hesitate. She kind of took, took a breath and said, I stand here before you as a queer woman of color. And I thought it was even today in 2022, courageous and uh, heroic. And I don't know what it meant for people in the Academy audience, but it meant a lot to me, and I'm sure it meant a lot to queer people all over the country or the world. I've been speaking with independent film writer-producer David Michael Barrett. My thanks to Anne Northrup and Andy Hum of Gay USA. For This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappell. And coming up, Grammy's Queerest Facets. You still got it in your Next time on This Way Out. Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Melanie Keller and Michael Taylor Gray, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Alan Brown, produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Special thanks, as always, to our friends Ann Northrup and Andy Hum at Gay USA. Genesis, RuPaul, and Eminem performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. 
This way, our thanks to Kicking Ass that's funded the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a request from Christopher David Trentham, and donors James Kennedy and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KPCA, Petaluma, California, WWSX, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, CFRC, Kingston, Ontario, and a wide array of community, terrestrial, and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.